Hey homies, this is Sarah. And this is Ashley. And this is Hometown Homicide, COVID edition. We say COVID edition because Ashley is currently dying. I have COVID. I tested positive yesterday. It's been a long week. Uh, Tuesday is when I really thought I was dying. And I even asked a friend to make sure my cats would be taken care of when I do die. Wednesday, I took a test and it was negative. I was like, okay, well, you know. The body aches, the chills, the fever. It's like, I don't know what's going on. And then yesterday, I felt great. Uh, Not great. I take that back. I felt better. But I had to take my other test, and then that one came back positive. I'm like, well, now that explains the body aches. But the headaches are the worst. Yeah, it does not sound like a fun time. But, yeah, this sucks. So, if we sound different, Sarah's at home and I'm at home. And I know I sound like shit. I know I do. But this is what you get. So, a couple things before getting into the story today. Um, uh, Rest in peace, fucking Meatloaf and Louis Anderson. Yep. Both of them. Are we starting every episode? I mean, basically, this year. Yeah. I mean... Death. I'm sorry, 2022, you suck. You are You're not, not it. Y- you are not playing friendly. <laughs> no. And, and I don't know what other podcasts I was listening to, but they said, is it because n- nobody claimed 2022? It was morbid because I listened, I listened okay. to it today and it was morbid. <laughs> okay. Um. But yes, RIP Meatloaf and Louie Anderson. I definitely jammed out to Meatloaf this morning. And then I followed it up with some serious Dre, Eminem, and Snoop because oh, of the yes. hype video that yes, came out for the I halftime show. Bro, um, I squealed um, last night and I scared the shit out of the cats. Like, it was, <laughs> oh, so exciting. I'm excited. And it's oh, yeah. going to be amazing. It's going to be oh, yeah. so awesome. I mean, dope as fuck. And, oh, oh, the other little thing. We have a, a new Patreon shout out. And it's actually not someone we know this time. (laughs) So shout out to Tracy. She's also a a true homie. So thank you, Tracy. Thank you. I was like, oh my God, it's someone we don't actually know this time. Cool. (laughs) That was pretty exciting. Yeah. Yeah. And then we also, um, the other day, yesterday, maybe, I don't know, days of run together for me. Um, We had over... Uh, we're over a thousand oh, yeah. downloads in the, our first 45 days. So that's pretty exciting. So thank you, everybody, for listening to our podcast week after week. Yes. Yeah, it was exactly two weeks from when we hit 500 to when mm-hmm. we hit 1,000. Yes. Well, I guess like just shy because it was the night before. But yeah, I was like, oh my God, look at us go. Yeah, that Ooh. was awesome. And, and then Good Pods this morning had us number 10 on the indie. True, True crime. crime. Yep. I sent that right now. I know. When I looked this morning, it was like 11, and I'm like, ah, oh, so close. On everybody, we're on. Yep, we're still 10 on indie and 11 on the everybody. True crime. Awesome. So, yeah, look at this go. 
We're just killing it. And we are going to be having a fun giveaway soon on our YouTube. Uh, so yeah. stay tuned for that. We do have merch that we will want to give away. We are going to do our first one once we hit 100 subscribers. Uh, you know, because we are still new, so we're trying to get the word out there. But we want to give right. something away. And Sarah ordered some pretty cool merch. I saw it. Yeah. I figured, you know, if we don't like it, whatever. It was it was a discount because it's uh, the samples from there. And I'm going to wear the shit out of that stocking cap if no one else does. So, like, I don't even care. <laughs> that stocking yeah. hat's pretty cool. Pay attention and subscribe now because once we hit 100... We will tell you how to, if as long as you are subscribed to our channel, how to win a piece of merch. So stay tuned Ooh. for that. All right. Now this episode is going to be a little bit different. So, Ash, I know you can, but listeners, if you can, I want you to close your eyes. Imagine you're a kid again. Ten years old to be exact, because it is your tenth birthday. And as any fourth grader would, you probably dreamt of toys and cake, and you woke up excited. Around lunchtime, your aunt, who is your legal guardian, gets you into her car to go pick up three of her kids that are at another aunt's house. You're then supposed to go to Toys R Us to pick up your birthday present. But your aunt seems a little distracted. She stopped the car a couple of places, sometimes not even getting out of the car, just staring off for a while before getting back on the road. She does stop at a gas station, though, where all you kids get to get some candy bars, so heck yeah. Something's still not right, though, because the guy working at the gas station had to help your aunt pump the gas, which seems weird, but hey, adults are weird, right? Everybody gets back in the car, and it's back on the road. You must be getting close to birthday party time, as it's, you know, later in the day. You realize once you're on the road, something is very wrong, like very wrong. The cars are coming at you. You're confused, and you're getting scared as your aunt is racing her car down the road, going towards other cars. What is happening? It's your birthday. It's supposed to be a fun and happy day. But instead, you're terrified as cars are zipping past, and your aunt doesn't even seem to notice. You see a van coming towards you, your little hands pushing at the dashboard as if it'll keep you away from the van as it comes so very fast towards you. And you crash. That's scary. The time that it took me to do that introduction was about the same time that Judy Kirby was driving the wrong direction on Indiana's 67 highway on March 25th, 2000, before she crashed head-on into a van, killing the driver of the van, two of his kids that were with him, Judy's four kids that were with her. 87 seconds of wrong-way driving ended in the deaths of seven innocent people, with two survivors. One was a passenger in the van and Judy herself. Wrong way drivers scare the mm. shit out of me. If you were in that lane, like, you don't have time to respond. It just scares me. Like, terrifies me. Right. So, I, I'm not telling this story so I can talk about Judy, because fuck Judy. Um, I do have to talk about her to tell you who her victims were. And, like, why they were victims. Thomas, Bradley, Jessica, Jacob, Joni, Jordan, 
and Jeremy are the ones that truly deserve to be talked about and remembered. But since I do have to tell you about her to bring awareness to those seven angels, here we go. All right, Judy Walker married a man. Oh, and I'm not going to do a ton of, like, history on Judy because, like I said, fuck Judy. But she's not the point here. Like, you know, like Mm -hmm. I said, the victims are, but at least a little bit of stuff and, like, leading up to. Um, Judy Walker married a man named Victor Kirby, and together they had five children. Victor and Judy divorced, and then somehow she got romantically involved with Victor's uncle, Tinny. Uh, I know, right? Uh, They never married, but they did have two children together. Wait. Yeah. She wait. Okay. If she had children with her ex-husband's uncle. So her kids, that would be their great uncle. So her kids she had with him, how would they be related to her kids? I don't know. They're like first and a half cousins. I'm not entirely sure. Cousin brothers? Cousin... Yeah, I yeah, something like weird. It's it's awkward for sure. Okay. Continue. Um, somewhere in between or before or I'm not entirely sure because the timeline isn't laid out. She had so 5 6 7 8. She had another kid at some point. And then so that makes eight of her own children. Oh. And then, yes, and then along the way, she was appointed guardian to two other children, making a total of ten kids in her care. Okay. That's a lot of kids. Yeah. Which one of them was her sister's son, Jeremy. Okay. Um, Sorry, I had to figure that all out. Uh, The youngest of these children was about five months old and supposedly Judy was having some hellacious postpartum depression. She gave birth in October of 1999 and her mental state deteriorated over the next five months. The crash was in March. Uh, The result of this deterioration was hospitalization at St. Francis Hospital in Indianapolis just three weeks prior to the crash. When admitted, she was reportedly, quote, hyperventilating while experiencing emotional trauma. Um, A doctor told authorities that Judy had a, quote, major depressive episode with postpartum onset with psychotic features. This type of diagnosis indicates that besides depression, the patient is also suffering from delusions and hallucinations, which is a no bueno. Right. Um, but in less than three days, she checked herself out of St. Francis against medical advice. Along with postpartum and, oh, oh, wait, I, I, I have to flippity flop here. Um, also supposedly Judy suffered from a thyroid problem that distorted her perception of reality. Symptoms included depression Paranoia and suspicion. 
a thyroid problem causes that. Right. That's what I kind of thought too, but that's literally I'm what I'm not a doctor, so I don't say. know. I mean, same. Not a doctor, not an expert. Um, so whether it was a thyroid problem or not, she was very paranoid. Uh, reportedly telling people that she thought the FBI and CIA were after her, that they even had hidden cameras mounted on telephone poles outside her home so they could watch her. Which hmm. might have been true because Judy was also suspected of illegal trafficking of prescription drugs. It was okay. alleged <laughs> that, I mean, it's not funny, but it was alleged that Judy and Tinny were dealing the prescription Dilaudid, shit, I forgot to look that up. Dilaudid? Dilaudid. Dilaudid, yep. Uh, okay, sure. Um, I also read in a newspaper source that Judy claimed that Tinny was blackmailing her. For what? I have no fucking idea, because it didn't say. But she claimed that to a neighbor. Yeah, neighbor, I believe. Um, she also recorded a tape at her sister's home just a month before the crash in case anything happened to her, which is super sketch. Um, quote, there are people following me and I have reasons to believe the house I'm in is bugged. Um, she was also convinced that the Secret Service was tunneling under her house to spy on her. Okay. Yeah. Um, at trial, her defense counsel actually presented photos of holes that Judy had ripped into the walls of her house while looking for surveillance devices. So she, like, was not quite right. People in her life, are they seeing this? Like, obviously, they checked her in and she checked herself out, but mental illness is maybe a real thing and she shouldn't have... 10 children right. in her care if that's, that's the case right maybe maybe some other things could have gone on but sorry I'm trying to rearrange my mic a little bit yeah I, her family I guess had expressed concern about her and her mental state and whatnot. but I bet yeah, I, I don't know I she had exhibited signs I, of like words are hard um, like recovery or uh, improvement at least when she yeah. was at the hospital so maybe they thought everything was going to be okay uh, oh her her defense had brought up that whole um, thyroid problem thing maybe being a, a factor to why she did this um and in rebuttal, the prosecutors brought in a medical expert who argued that Judy's behavior before the crash would not have been a result of that thyroid disorder. So basically, they called bullshit. Two of Judy's children that she didn't kill, uh, Josh and Justin, I believe they're 15 and 16 at the time that this happened, sat down with their father a couple days after the crash and were interviewed by a local paper. At that point, the boys said that their mother had expressed thoughts of suicide just two days before the incident. But later, during Judy's trial, the boys claimed to have no knowledge of her saying that. And uh, one of the boys, Josh, even said he wasn't present for that interview with the paper at all. 
when there's literally a picture you can find of both boys and their father sitting for said interview. Oh, I don't know if they just like I yeah, I mean I I don't know if they just felt bad or you know like hey, that's my mom. Maybe I should yeah. testify against her or whatever. Yeah, probably. And just to like they they were not in the vehicle, correct? They were not with her. Right. These okay. these were two of them that were not with with her. Gotcha. Literally, they recanted once they were on the stand testifying. Uh, why would she have been suicidal, you may ask? Besides, you why? know, postpartum stuff, which is clearly very serious. Um, and then I guess her relationship with her boyfriend slash kid's father, great uncle was over like that they had maybe broken up um and maybe she didn't want to go down about the drugs or a combination of all of those things sure that that would do it Mm -hmm. uh she she claimed to not remember the crash and that she loved her children and would never do anything to harm them except you got in the car and drove the wrong way going down a highway and killed everyone but yourself and and one passenger in the other van, or the van. Yeah. Yeah, investigators could not explain why she had driven 1.7 miles in the wrong direction, passing four possible turnoffs. So there were options for her to pull off, even if she, you could pull over anytime, but like she could have literally turned off mm-hmm. and she didn't. An Indiana conservation officer, Dave Reese, said, In 30 years of work, I've never seen anything this bad before. I guess, like, the first responders and stuff had a hell of a time with this because of the kids and I can imagine all of it. Yeah. I saw some comments on an article from, like, somebody that worked the... Oh my God, like the life flight, you know, the helicopter thing and the um, ER and stuff that just said it was brutal. In closing arguments, the prosecution, Iacoli, I think is how you say his last name, described Judy as, quote, a woman at the end of her rope making a conscious decision to drive her car into oncoming traffic with both hands on the wheel and screaming children all around her. Continuing on with the quote, she had nerves of steel. Imagine that for 87 seconds. Cars coming at you, swerving, trying to get you to stop. Nine vehicles. She knows they can't all avoid her, so she goes faster and faster. And she nails it. I can't. I can't imagine. I don't want... That's horrific. Right. Uh, This prosecutor actually used a dramatic, silent 87 seconds in his closing uh, statements as to hopefully let it really sink in for the jurors how much time she really had to realize her actions if it was actually a mistake, you know, and 87 seconds in the long run isn't that long, but that whole opening thing, I was trying to make you imagine being a kid, Mm -hmm. that's her driving down the road, like, that's... That's a good chunk of time while you're driving. And how when fast was she going? going the wrong way? I will get to that shortly. Gotcha. 
Um, when Judy's defense closed, they tried to portray her as a loving mother who lost control under severe mental stress. He said the matter was a traffic accident, not murder, since Judy wasn't in control of her faculties. On May 10th of 2001, after only 10 hours of deliberation, the jurors found Judy Kirby guilty of seven counts of murder, four felony counts of child neglect causing serious bodily injury, and one count of aggravated battery. Got her good. All right. It was a 12-day trial in which 114 witnesses were called, and on June 13th, she was sentenced to 215 years in prison. Dang. Right? The following that I'm going to go through is the timeline of that day, pieced together by authorities after interviewing family members and witnesses. So 11.30 a.m., Judy leaves her Southside Indianapolis home in her white 1989 Pontiac Firebird with Jeremy Young, her nephew, of whom she had custody. They headed to her sister's home in Acton to pick up children Joni, Jacob, and Jordan. Around noon, Judy arrives at the home of her sister, Janetta Scott, stays a couple hours, and then leaves about 2 p.m. with all four children in her vehicle. Janetta intends to follow Judy and the children in her own vehicle, the destination being Toys R Us in Greenwood to buy a present for Jeremy's birthday. 2.30 p.m., Janetta loses track of Judy's car when Judy stops in traffic on Southport Road. Janetta turns around to go back, thinking maybe she had car trouble, but Judy's car is nowhere to be found. 3 p.m. to 3.30 p.m. on Ralston Road, a gentleman working in his yard sees Judy when she stops her Firebird in front of his house. And he recalls that she just stared at him for a few minutes and then left. Between 3.30 and 4... Two women see Judy's car stop in traffic at the intersection of High School and Thompson Roads. They go up to the car to ask if everything's okay. Uh, They loan her a cell phone, because 2000, uh, with which Judy drives off with. And it doesn't say anywhere that they were alarmed by this. I would have been alarmed by this. Yeah. Um, and And then she returns about two minutes later. She gives the phone back. And then she departs, traveling on High School Road towards Kentucky Avenue. And nowhere was it stated um, that, Patrick, that there was a call actually made by her. Like, I'm sure they looked at those phone records to see if she actually called anybody. But nowhere did it say that she did make a call. So, I don't know. Now, if this was year 2000 and she had a cell phone... Mm-hmm. Like, it's not going to be a cell phone that people might be picturing that you have in your hand right now. It's most likely oh, no. going to be one of the Nokia's. The... Oh, like... yeah. It's a brick with snake. Yeah. But you could change out the face plates yes. and the button, like the keypad. And, you of could. course, I had, a, like, a rhinestone keypad. And I had a shiny red chrome cover and a leopard print cover. My leopard print goes way back. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, just if if you want to visual, you know, visualize this person handing their phone over to Judy, that's what it probably looks like. At 4 p.m., Judy and the children show up at a baby shower in the clubhouse at Valley Brook Mobile Home Park on High School Road, just west of Kentucky Avenue. The five of them 
enter the clubhouse but are not recognized by any of the baby shower attendees. Witnesses say Judy stated, I need help. And when she was asked what kind of help, she replied, I need a birthday party. People at the shower think Judy just had the wrong clubhouse because there was another one that you could have events in. So they gave her directions to how to get to that other location. Between 4.10 and 4.45, there are no reported sightings as Judy drives 21.5 miles to Martinsville. Now at 4.45 p.m., the Firebird arrives at a Speedway gas station on the edge of Martinsville. Surveillance surveillance, surveillance footage shows Judy and the four children enter the station, pay $3 in gasoline, and buy candy bars. And I'm sorry, I know this is 2000 but $3 is like two gallons then. Like, what the fuck? I, I just seemed very strange to me that they paid $3 in gas. A gas station attendant reports that Judy sat in the car for several minutes before actually going inside to pay. And then she also attempts but is unable to activate the gas pump. So he does go out and assist her. At 4.55 p.m., witnesses begin calling in a white car, which entered the southbound lanes of Indiana 67 at the exit ramp on Pumpkin Vine Hill Road but was headed the wrong direction going north. The car was reported traveling at a high speed with estimates varying between 55 and 100 miles per hour. Wow. One witness, yeah. One witness describes seeing, quote, a small boy in the front seat who looked to be on his knees, his hands outstretched to the dash as if he was holding on and the driver's blonde hair was blowing in the wind. Additional witnesses report that it didn't appear that Judy tried to slow down or avoid cars at all. She wasn't, like, bobbing and weaving. She was just driving straight, not seeming like she's impaired or distracted at all. Jesus. Yeah, 4.57 p.m. After eight or nine other vehicles did somehow manage to avoid the Firebird, like being run off the road or swerving to miss her, um, Judy's car collides head-on with a van driven by Thomas Reel of Martinsville. The crash was described by witnesses as, quote, a horrific, spectacular explosion. Oh, I bet. The imp- right? Like, I can't even... Ugh. Um, the impact kills all four children riding with Judy and also killed Thomas and two of his children, Bradley and Jessica. Judy and another passenger in the van, Richard Miller, who was 13 and a friend of the real family, are taken to Methodist Hospital in Indianapolis. Thomas and the three teens in his van were actually returning from a youth church event. Of course they were. About the victims, who are the real focus here. I mean, I don't have much about them, but these are the important people of this story. Thomas Reel was 40. He was married to a woman named Louise, and they had three children. Bradley and Jessica, who obviously died in this terrible crash, and one remaining daughter, Christine, who was 11 at the time. He was a truck driver for R.L. Carter Trucking, who was based in Clayton, Indiana. Jessica Reel, who was 14, 
daughter of Thomas and Louise, was a ninth grade student at Tabernacle Christian School in Martinsville, where she was a cheerleader and a member of the school choir. Bradley Real, 13 years old, son of Thomas and Louise, was an eighth grade student at Tabernacle Christian School in Martinsville, and he played basketball and sang in choir and ensemble. The entire Reed family was, are, you know, the the deceased were and the living are uh, missionaries with Seedline Christian Ministries and members of the Zion Baptist Fellowship in Martinsville. So now the children in Judy's car. Jordan Kirby was 12, son of Judy and Victor, was a sixth grade student at Douglas Middle School in Indianapolis. He enjoyed fishing, roller skating, and playing basketball. Joni Kirby, which it's spelled J-O-N-E-Y, and that's, I think the name Joni is pretty anyway, but I think Mm -hmm. that's a really cute way to spell Joni. Um, She was nine, daughter of Judy and Victor, third grade student at School 87, which I guess in Indiana or Indianapolis, some of their schools have like numbers. I saw it in a couple of things. Um, School 87 in Indianapolis. She loved to write and draw and she loved school. One of her teachers actually described her as, quote, a peacemaker, kind-hearted, compassionate, and a great student. Jacob Kirby was five. He was son of Judy and Victor. He would have started kindergarten a few months later in the fall of 2000. He loved Chuck E. Cheese, fishing, Nintendo, and playing outdoors. And then Jeremy Young, who was 10, child of Judy's sister, Linda Walker, but was being raised by Judy. He was a fourth grade student at School 21 in Indianapolis. He liked Power Rangers, playing basketball, and riding his bike, and that was his 10th birthday. How sad. I can't. Like, I, that's, that's how I settled on starting this one was like, Jesus Christ, you know, you, you wake up and it's your 10th birthday. That's the farthest thing that you're going to think of that would fucking happen. Right. It's just brutal. And for no good reason. And the fear that went through his mind, those 87 seconds, like, I can't imagine. No. And I, I'm i surprised I didn't cry because I, like, got teary a couple times, like, while I was reading this stuff and, like, writing it. But it's because I don't have the pictures in front of me. When you see the fucking pictures of these kids, I mean, all of them, not mm-hmm. just the kids, but, oh, God. God, it just breaks your heart. Jeremy looks so happy in his school picture. And yes, one stupid twat that apparently wasn't even wearing her seatbelt somehow lived and killed all these people. Oh, why? It, why, why is it like that? that? Why does I don't, that happen? Ah, uh, yeah, I don't know. So was she going, like, was she trying to commit suicide? Like, did she ever explain or? She's not given any explanation. Not that there is one that would obviously not justify this situation at all, but at least a reason would be maybe a little bit of closure, but 
Did she just, just have like a psychotic break? I mean, mental health is so important. I'm not trying to justify this in any way because it's not no. okay. Right. But not an excuse, but a reason. Now, is Judy still in prison? She sure is. Indiana Women's Prison. That's where she is. 215 years. Jeez. I mean, that's good. And yeah, if she, right. And it, certainly, if she's got some mental illness, I hope she's getting treated in there and, and getting some help. But it's clearly far too late. It's just so heartbreaking. Like, seriously, though, you see the pictures of those kids. I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do for this episode. I'm like, hmm. Oh, and I like looked into a couple things. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. That's interesting. And then I'm like, oh my god, these poor babies, and that uh, that poor father and his. Oh god. But that was that was my story for this week. Like I said, a little different, but still one I thought should be shared. Awesome. Well, I'm glad we figured out technology so that we can at least get this done. And thank you to yeah. everyone who's been listening. And make sure you rate us on Apple Podcast and Spotify and subscribe. And good pods. Oh, and good pods. And uh, subscribe on YouTube, please. That's Hometown Homicide likes, comments, all of that. And, uh, Ash, I'm wishing you a speedy recovery. Thank you. Yes. And, uh, thanks for listening, guys. Remember, we want to tell stories to you, not about you. So stay safe. And this was Hometown Homicide. COVID edition. <laughs>